This is episode number 112, Unlocking Human Performance with Whoops CEO and founder, Will Ahmed. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. The WHOOP will measure the amount of strain that you're putting on your body. That could be exercise, it could be stress, it could be daily activity, and we'll tell you to keep going or we'll tell you to stop. So in a lot of ways, WHOOP is trying to live a step ahead of you and it's trying to coach you to be this better version of yourself. I hope you've had an awesome week and you also enjoyed the Crush It Monday episode on the happiness horizon. I'm so pumped and thankful that you guys are here. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I think you guys are really going to love today's episode. It's about the secrets your body is trying to tell you and how to know if you should keep pushing or if you should rest in both your training and in your life. And a common theme of this podcast has been uncovering and discussing burnout. And I think that this is relevant to that topic. If you listen to this podcast where our unifying theme is about high performance living, then I think you're really going to love today's discussion. It's about measuring strain and recovery. And there's a great deal of research uncovering biomarkers to give insight to your sleep recovery and HRV or heart rate variability. And I'm sure that if you pay attention to physiology or performance that you've heard all of these terms. So today's guest is the CEO and founder of the wildly successful and rapidly expanding company, Whoop. His name is Will Ahmed. And if you listen to the Whoop podcast, you're familiar with Will and Whoop's mission. Their goal is to unlock human performance by monitoring heart rate 24-7. And they've created algorithms to gauge the stress on your body, to help prevent overtraining, to provide an individualized, in-depth analysis of sleep, and to help contribute to a broader picture of not just athletic performance, but life performance. I was particularly intrigued by Whoop and the software because I'm somebody that, as you know, is a very high energy person. And when I'm not on my bike, I'm doing 10,000 other things. And I'm trying to find ways to slow myself down and quantify how much rest I actually need. I've honestly struggled to find the right coach in my 15-year career as a cyclist because I like taking on a lot of projects off the bike. And that's pretty normal for most people. Most people work, a lot of people have families, and most people aren't just robots that just ride their bike and sleep. In fact, 99.9% of professional riders have a lot of obligations off the bike as well. So I was excited when I learned about WHOOP because being able to quantify the strain and stress on your body for all of other life's activities is super hard to measure and super hard to quantify until now. And their app is pretty cool because it uses sleep, heart rate variability, and real-time heart rate that is measured 100 times per second to calculate a strain score, a recovery score, and a sleep score. Strain is not just based on your workouts, but also based on the entire impact of the things you're doing to reduce stress and the things you're doing to cause stress and calculate an overall score. 
For example, meditation counts as an activity in the WHOOP app, which contributes to a lower strain score. And things like chasing your toddler around or grocery shopping sometimes will show up as an activity in the app. A lot of things that I'm doing show up as activities that aren't actual exercise activities because it shows an elevated heart rate. And with this data, you can change your habits. They also have an incredible amount of data to measure sleep and to give you a bunch of different insight into patterns and habits that are affecting the different sleep cycles. As cyclists, we are pretty data intense people. And as Reggie Miller calls me, I'm a nerdy cyclist and I like the science. So if this is all sounding appealing to you, Will actually is offering up 30 bucks off when you sign up for a new membership and you get a free strap. So just go to whoop.com and use the code Looney, which is just my last name, L-O-O-N-E-Y, if you want to give it a try. And again, the code is my last name, L-O-O-N-E-Y, like Looney Tunes. So that's exactly how you spell it. In today's podcast, you'll learn how Will Ahmed started his company, personality traits he looks for to build a business team, his approach to scaling Whoop, the framework and fundamentals of strain, recovery score, heart rate variability, and sleep, a bunch of different tips on how to optimize your sleep and get more slow wave sleep, which is the most important phase of your sleep, what heart rate variability actually is and what it's measuring, and things like how meditation affects strain score and recovery. There's a lot of information packed into this episode, and even if you're not interested in becoming a Whoop user, there's going to be a lot of things that you can learn to help you be better. I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks, for supporting the show. It's road trip season. We're all going off and doing awesome adventures on the weekend. And if you want to have a stress-free experience, knowing that all of your equipment is kept safe, check out Kuat Racks. They have roof racks and they have bike racks that go on your hitch. So you can put stuff like your bikes. They even have racks for e-bikes if you're into all of that. They have kayak racks, ski racks, and most of the racks are secure so that you can lock your equipment onto your car so that if you need to run in and grab a coffee or do something like that, you don't have to worry about your equipment getting stolen. It's also headache free and easy to use. I know for me, if something is a pain or inconvenient, I won't use it. So I've been really, really happy. I've been using the racks for two years and you should definitely check them out. It's kuatracks.com and uh, you can just go on the website and see what is the best fit for you. A few more announcements. There are new Moxie and Grit socks available for pre-order right now. And Moxie and Grit is my apparel company and it's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. We have a Majestic Beast Walrus sock. We have a Classy as F Argyle mustache sock. And we also have Team Unicorn socks. And secret hint, I'm working on cycling kits. So it's pretty fun to be expanding the brand. There's lots of new things coming down the pipeline. And I just wanted to say a big shout out and thank you to those of you guys who are rocking the Moxie and Grit stuff in all of your adventures. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. And if you're listening to it in the car or on a bike ride and you keep forgetting, just tell Siri to remind you to leave a review. I use that all the time because I hear things and I want to make mental notes of either really interesting things that I've heard in the podcast or just some an action item to do. So thank you so much to those of you who have left reviews and don't forget to hit subscribe if you want to make sure to get notifications every week of the new podcasts. All right, let's get into Unlocking Human Performance with Will Ahmed.
Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sonia. Great to be on. Yeah, I'm stoked to have you as a guest because I've been listening to the Whoop podcast and you guys have had such awesome guests. And I've been using the Whoop product for a few months trying to learn a lot more about myself. So I'm really excited to learn more. Well, thank you for having me on and proud to have you in the Whoop community too, Sonia. Cool, thanks. So I love talking about how people started things because many, many times we all have ideas and we think, oh yeah, like I should do that. And then we think, oh, it's going to be too hard or it's going to be too expensive. Nah. So where did you get the idea and how did you decide to move forward with it? Well, our mission at Whoop is really to unlock human performance. And I got interested in human performance because I was always into sports and exercise. So I was playing a squash while I was at Harvard and I was fortunate to be captain of the team. And I got very interested in how can you have an individual be optimal for a specific day? How can you have a team be optimal for a specific day? And for me, I was someone who used to overtrain, which I know is somewhat common in the cycling and mountain biking <laughs> communities. Yeah. So you're probably familiar with that. I was someone who used to overtrain, you know, other athletes undertrain, they misinterpret fitness peaks, they don't necessarily understand sleep or recovery. So those were some of the things that I I just became personally fascinated by. And I ended up doing a lot of physiology research while I was in school. I ended up reading something like 500 medical papers and I did this huge deep dive on how could you understand the human body. And it was really that research that led to starting Whoop. You know, I, I like to say I, I wasn't necessarily trying to start a company when I was a, an undergraduate in school. It just felt like that was the only thing left to do because I kept doing all this research and I kept thinking about it and I kept thinking about it. And to me, it just seemed like an incredibly important problem to take on, which is how do you understand the human body? And uh, I've been fortunate to work with really brilliant people on that journey. I met my uh, co-founder, John Capalupo, who's our chief technology officer. I met him my senior year at Harvard, and John was studying some of the hardest math classes in the country. And as it turns out, his father's a professor of exercise physiology. So we had a real overlap around physiology, and he had the technical chops to do some things from a sensing standpoint that hadn't been done before. And I had a vision for how to build a product for coaches and athletes and beyond. And so that was really the very earliest days, the launching point. And we started Whoop summer of 2012. Cool. So my question with that is I actually was also really interested in overtraining when I was in grad school. And I thought, oh, that would be a really cool thesis to do a PhD in overtraining. And I went to the professors in the exercise physiology department and I said, hey, can we do this? And they're like, we can't do that. So what made you decide to do a product instead of deciding to go into research? Well, you know, I don't want to be critical of research because we do a ton of it today. And, and certainly a lot of the medical research that I read was helpful for founding the company. But I will say that to me, it's underwhelming from an impact standpoint, you know, like some of the biggest studies that, that I was reading about things like heart rate variability and sleep and sleep deprivation, you know, they were on 15 people over the course of two weeks. And, you know, some of the best cardiologists, some of the best doctors, they're making big conclusions from that. And in a lot of cases, those studies cost, you know, $100,000 or $500,000 to get done. And then it took, you know, years to have them be published, right? And for me, that wasn't an exciting feedback loop, right? I was someone who wanted to see how quickly I could build technology and put it on 
you know, 10, 100, 1,000, 100,000, millions of people and get feedback instantaneously. And, you know, not just go out with a study where you have a very specific intention of what you're trying to learn, but actually be able to collect a lot of data where you don't know even what you're going to learn. Like what, what exciting thing might you uncover because you have so much information and so much data. And I'll give you an example. You know, we read about this study with the National Institute of Health. This was about two years ago. And they did a study on 100 students around sleep. And they found effectively that sleep consistency, so when you go to bed and when you wake up, doing that consistently, was actually a better predictor of students' GPA than how long they slept for, so sleep duration. So the concept being that actually going to bed and waking up at the same time is more important than the total amount of sleep that you get. And, you know, we read this study and we're like, well, that's pretty interesting. You know, that's an interesting concept. It's a little unintuitive. And there's a lot of coaching that can go around that. So we took that logic and instead of applying it to 100 people, we ran it over 10 million sleep data sets, 10 million, right? And we found that, in fact, if you went to bed and woke up at a similar time, you had a higher heart rate variability the next day, you had a lower resting heart rate, and you were recovering faster. So all of a sudden, then we built a feature for our WHOOP population to coach you on when to go to bed and when to wake up to be as effective as possible and to have a high sleep consistency. So that to me is sort of the power of the era that we live in is technology is uh, ubiquitous and sensors are getting cheaper and smartphones are incredibly powerful. And there's just so much that you can do and build. That's why I went down the path of, of building technology versus, say, a traditional path of research. That makes so much sense to me because you have so much data at your fingertips, whereas if you're running, I mean, if you're running like double blind placebo controlled studies and those types of things like that has its own scenario in a lab. But being able to look at across a massive data set with all different types of people like that's really cool to have that information. Yeah, it's empowering. And then, you know, ultimately, it just feeds back into the company's ultimate mission, which is how can you improve performance? Uh, where did the name come from? Whoop. Yep. You know, we, we wanted a name that people would remember that made people smile. When I was in college, like it was a bit of a viral word amongst my friends to express energy or excitement. So people like, hey, you got whooped for the match today. Like you feeling good. So, you know, it, it just turned into this thing. And now it's it served us quite well. How did your identity shift from athlete to entrepreneur? And then how did being a team captain translate into building a team around you at Whoop? You know, I think the powerful thing about being an athlete is that you're taught on a daily basis to take on failure, right? You're, you're taught to identify weaknesses in your sport, in your game, and to really target them, you know? And so in squash, if I wasn't hitting drop shots well, like I would have to really focus on why I wasn't hitting drop shots, you know, fill in the blank for any sport, right? You're, you're focused on a weakness. You're focused on a failure. And by the way, in confronting that failure, you find success. And that's a powerful feedback loop that I think all of us as athletes probably take for granted. Because in the real world, you're actually kind of being taught the opposite. You're being taught to avoid failure at all costs. And as an entrepreneur, you have to face failure every day, 
and just, you know, stare it in the eyes and drive forwards and overcome it. And so I think that there's probably a healthy resiliency that comes from being an athlete. And in a lot of ways, it has to do with how you respond to failure and how you use failure to ultimately be better. In terms of building a team, you know, I've found that the first thing you really have to have is a strong mission. You got to have a, like a clear point of view on, on where are we all marching towards. And, you know, the, being, a, being a team captain versus being a, a team leader, there are, some, there are some commonalities there just from driving to a mission, right? A sports team often has the mission of win the league or win whatever, right? Win the, win the championship. So it's a little bit it's a little bit harder, I think, as an entrepreneur to create that mission. But that is so important as like, what are we all here marching towards? You know, SpaceX famously, our mission is to put men on Mars, right? Pretty badass mission, easy to rally around. You know, whoop, it's to unlock human performance. So creating a, a strong mission statement, I think that was something that came naturally to me. And there's some commonalities there with being a team captain. I think something that's that there's also some commonality around is just, you know, when you're building a team, you want to have all sorts of different skill sets around you. And you want to have people that are really good at certain things and maybe have weaknesses elsewhere. And for me, I've always tried to find people with enormous strengths in certain areas and be less concerned with their weaknesses and try to find other people to mask those weaknesses. So that I think has served me well. And there's probably, it's probably relatable again to uh, team sport. I think where it's different is, you know, you have to deal with compensation. You have to deal with HR issues. You have to deal with, you know, all sorts of things that there there just isn't a good playbook for if you've never done it before. And that's where I think you have to approach, you have to approach the role with a lot of humility and also try to surround yourself with other people who are good at, at, at taking on those challenges, too. So, you know, you just want to keep building a team that reinforces you. Yeah, there's this book I love by Patrick Lencioni called The Ideal Team Player. And he says, look for people who are humble, hungry and smart to build your team. And I thought that was pretty cool. I like that a lot. I tell people that I interview that we look for people at Whoop with really two traits. One is a deep expertise in a specific area or just, you know, large strengths. And then the other is a high degree of humility. And the reason that's a powerful combination is if you're, if you're building a company or a team that's taking on an ambitious mission, inevitably you're going to have specific individuals that are responsible for these enormous tasks. And, and often the the tasks are, have overlapping um, requirements. So I'll give you an example, like how does a whoop strap communicate to an iPhone, right? That meeting, so to speak, is going to have a signal processing engineer, an iOS developer, a product manager, a designer, a marketer, maybe even a hardware engineer in the meeting, right? And they're all going to approach that specific problem from their own somewhat selfish point of view, right? In terms of what's going to make this best from my standpoint. And so what happens is there's this natural collision of ideas, and what's exciting about having a group of people that, you know, have a high degree of humility is that they ultimately approach it from the standpoint of, well, what's the, the best outcome for the company, not what's the best outcome for me. And the result of that is when you have people like that, you, you create an idea meritocracy where, you know, ultimately the best ideas win. 
And then there's other ripple effects. You know, I think generally it makes your company more transparent, makes people more comfortable challenging one another or talking to one another across department because there's this common recognition that you're you're working towards the the higher mission. I have one last business question and then I want to get into the features. <laughs> sure. Um, I have a very, very small business, <laughs> but yeah. scaling seems to be the most challenging thing. And I've belonged to certain business mastermind groups, and it just seems like the scaling issue isn't something that is addressed head on. And maybe it's because there's no good answer. But at Whoop, what has been the major challenges that you've overcome with scaling the business? Well, I'll challenge the question slightly in that I think that it's harder to find a hundred or a thousand people who are addicted to your product than it is to then grow a product that people are addicted to, to a million people. Okay. Right. Like I think that scaling is really hard when you've got something that people sort of like or don't love, you know? And so for us, a lot of the challenge in building whoop was just getting that first version of the product to be robust enough where it was easy enough to use. It gave you real feedback. You know, it had a reasonable battery life. The data transfer speeds were fast. All these things that go back to creating a great experience. And so then once we had a product that people loved, the scaling started to take care of itself. And, you know, people would tell their friends to buy it. And, you know, more and more teams would, would be on it because they didn't want to get left behind that their competitors were using Whoop. And, you know, more investors gave us money to invest in marketing because clearly people were using the product and we had a, a business model. So for me, I think the the product market fit is probably the hardest question for startups. And then the scaling question is a second order effect. Okay. So I want to get into the framework. When you open the app, there's a bunch of different things being measured. Whenever you had your first edition of the app, was it, did it have all the same things that it was measuring or was it measuring less things? Well, I like to say the more data you collect, the less data you actually want to show to the end user. <laughs> Especially cyclists. <laughs> well, just, you know, you have to, someone has to look at a, a, a screen and say, what the hell do I do with this? And so the way the app is organized is across recovery, strain, and sleep. And you can sort of think of that as your overall day, right? you wake up in the morning with a recovery score and that's zero to hundred percent red, yellow, green. And it screams at you every morning, right? It's like, Hey, you're green today. Go get it. Or, Hey, you're red today. You're run down. And based on that information, we will try to tell you how much strain to put on your body. And over the course of the day, you'll accumulate strain. So whoop will measure the amount of strain that you're putting on your body. That could be exercise. It could be stress. It could be daily activity. And We'll tell you to keep going or we'll tell you to stop. In fact, the new Whoop Strap 3.0 actually comes with a strain coach that will tell you in real time during a workout, should I keep pushing or should I stop? It's a pretty powerful concept, right? Back to that idea of overtraining. How do you know if you're overtraining? Well, if you know what someone's recovery is, what their readiness is, then you can actually tell them, hey, this is the right amount for you. And so in real time, this strain coach from Whoop is able to tell you this is the right amount. And then at the end of the day, Whoop looks at the strain that's accumulated on your body and it looks at who you are and it ultimately tells you how much sleep you need to recover for tomorrow. And then you go to bed 
and you wake up and the hours of sleep that you got in relationship to the sleep that you needed is this concept of sleep performance. And then you get a new recovery and the whole thing restarts. So in a lot of ways, Whoop is trying to live a step ahead of you and it's trying to coach you to be this better version of yourself. Now, there's a ton of data that goes into measuring things like recovery and strain and sleep. We're measuring heart rate 24-7 as accurately as a chest strap. We're measuring heart rate variability as accurately as an electrocardiogram, which, as you know, Sonia, is like the hospital-level technology. And then we're measuring sleep with the similar accuracy of a PSG machine, which is like a sleep lab. So using all of that data, we're able to really coach you on what we can optimize for you. And I primarily started using it because of the HRV measurement, because it's hard to actually wake up in the morning and then strap on a heart rate strap or put your finger on the little sensor on your phone over the flash and sit there and actually measure your heart rate. So I love that it just automatically does it for you. So I have a more specific question about HRV and whenever you're measuring it, is it like the first minute in the morning or is it like over the course of a day, it comes up with an overall score? Like when is it actually measuring HRV? So Whoop is measuring HRV 24-7. For the listeners who might be unfamiliar with heart rate variability, what's fascinating about it is it's this lens into your autonomic nervous system. So your body consists of sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. That's what regulates your body. Sympathetic is activation. It makes your heart rate go up, blood pressure up, respiration up. Parasympathetic is all the opposite, heart rate down, blood pressure down, respiration down. It's what helps you fall asleep. And what you actually want is for every sympathetic for there to be a parasympathetic response. That's a sign that your body is well-regulated. It's reacting to its environment. And the more in tune those two things are, actually the higher your heart rate variability. So higher heart rate variability is good. That's a little counterintuitive. But it effectively means that your body is primed to react to its environment. Now, we measure heart rate variability 24-7, but in particular, we measure it during slow-wave sleep. Now, as you know, Sonia, slow-wave sleep is super, super important because it's when your body produces 95% of its HGH, its human growth hormone. So people think they get strong in the gym. Wrong. You get strong during slow-wave sleep. That's when your body's getting strong. And as it turns out, slow-wave sleep is also when your body's restoring. And so by measuring this incredibly important statistic, heart rate variability, that is a measurement of how restored your body is, and by measuring it during the process in which you are restoring, you actually create a very interesting lens into understanding how restored someone is. And so we take that heart rate variability reading during slow-wave sleep, and we compare it to your previous three-day and 30-day moving averages. So it's much more important what your data means today than how your data compares to other people, right? Because this is a personal baseline that we need to compare back to yourself. I love that. I think that sounds a lot more accurate than checking it for the first two minutes when you wake up in the morning. And let me tell you what's wrong with that. The problem is that when you wake up in the morning, there's all sorts of different things that can affect heart rate variability. It's a super, super sensitive reading because it's measuring sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. So even if I'm just thinking about something that makes me nervous, it's going to, in that moment, drop my heart rate variability. So the, the brilliance to measure it while you're sleeping is that uh, you're unconscious. 
And the, the, the brilliance to doing it during slow wave sleep is then you're doing it at a control every night, right, during a similar period of time. When you wake up in the morning, if you're trying to take this reading, even if you're sitting versus standing versus lying down, that's going to corrupt the reading. If you had to stand up and then sit back down to do the reading, if you drank caffeine, you know, so all these things just totally screw up the reading, which is why you have to take it in a control and you have to take it, I think, while you're sleeping. Cool. So I want to get into the sleep because this is something that I learned about myself that I had no idea is that you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to sleep eight hours or nine hours tonight. I'm going to go to bed at 10. I'm going to wake up at seven, but you're actually not asleep that whole time. And that's what I've learned with the app. So I would just think, oh yeah, I'm getting nine hours of sleep every night. And then I look at the app and it breaks down the different cycles of sleep that you're in. And it'll actually give you like disturbances that you're not conscious of. So even if you're in bed and you think you're actually asleep for nine hours, you're not. I know. It's so interesting. I mean, it's this third of your life that, you know, only until recently has just been a complete black box for all of humanity. And, you know, one, yeah, one perfect misconception that you just described is this idea that the hours of, that you spend in bed equals the hours of sleep that you get. The reality is, you know, there's over the course of a sleep cycle, a sleep cycle is when you go from being awake to light sleep to slow wave sleep to REM sleep and back awake, like over that course of that cycle, you're getting different qualities of sleep. Slow wave sleep is helping your body restore muscle. REM is good for your brain. It's when you dream. Generally speaking, light and awake aren't adding that much value. So understanding how much time you get in these different sleep stages is critical. Understanding your sleep efficiency is critical. So efficiency being if I spend eight hours in bed and I get eight hours of sleep, I have 100% sleep efficiency. If I spend eight hours in bed and I get four hours of sleep, I have a 50% sleep efficiency. And by the way, it runs the gamut. Like we have people that are at 99% sleep efficiency and we have people that are at 50% sleep efficiency. But can you imagine not knowing that about yourself, right? Like it, that is so important to know because – those stages of sleep are what's restoring your body and making you optimal and making you capable of doing amazing things. And whenever you wake up in the morning, it asks you all these questions about the night before. Like, did you share your bed? Did you work on a screen in bed? Did you have alcohol, two alcoholic beverages? Like, what have been the most useful questions across the data that people have actually changed to optimize their sleep? Well, one massive thing we see is that drinking alcohol lowers your recovery the next day and really affects your slow wave and REM sleep. Now, if you were to ask someone if they knew that, they would say yes. But the reality is when you actually see that in your data, it really slaps you in the face. And it's very hard to persistently do something that gives you bad data. And so WHOOP creates this interesting behavior change where you know, we see people reporting less alcohol consumption as an example because they realize just how negatively it's affecting their body. That's not to say I never drink. It's just to say that I understand the impact that it's going to have on my body and that makes me less likely to want to do it. You know, the, then there's things so, – so alcohol generally across the board is bad. Then there's interesting things that may be good, may be bad, right? Certain sleep medications – could be great for you or could be bad for you. And, and by the way, it varies based on the individual. So the reason that we ask you a question like, did you have sleep meds last night, is that we want to be able to report back to you, this is how well you sleep when you're on sleep meds versus not. 
That could be ambient. It could be melatonin. It could be magnesium. You took something before bed. Did it have a positive or negative impact? And then Sonia can go out and have a different behavior based on that feedback. You know, we provide feedback on did you sleep better or worse when you shared your bed, right? That's an interesting one. And by the way, it varies, completely varies by person. You know, uh, caffeine is generally bad. You know, that's not something that's going to improve your sleep. Nicotine's generally bad. That's not something that's going to improve your sleep. The effect of looking at a screen device before bed varies. Some people, it's negligible. Some piece of, people, it has a massively negative impact. So again, these are just things that you want to know about yourself so you can improve and, and be a better version of yourself. And like, do these blue light blocking glasses or like using night shift mode or there's an app I use on my computer called Flux that actually, as you get closer to sundown, it starts taking out all the blue light. Like, do those actually work? Well, there's two separate things happening. One is this question of, okay, does blocking blue light actually improve your sleep? And two is the, the question of a placebo where if, if by thinking that you're doing things that improve your sleep, does it help you sleep? I'll start with the latter because placebos work. So sleep is something that is highly psychological. So if you do something and you truly believe it's improving your sleep, it's probably going to improve your sleep. Okay. Separate from that, though, I've started wearing uh, blue light blocking glasses before bed, maybe about two hours before bed. They've got like a, a red tint. They're very goofy looking. And I've found that they've improved my sleep latency, so how quickly I fall asleep. I haven't seen an enormous difference in like the amount of REM and slow wave sleep I've gotten, but I've noticed that they help me fall asleep faster. For other people, they claim, hey, I get way more slow wave sleep, I get way more REM sleep. Hmm. You know, I, I do the night shift thing on my phone, and so like at around 9 p.m., it goes from having blue light to not having blue light. I'm skeptical that that's making a massive impact because if you're staring at a screen, there's a lot of other things that are happening. However, from a placebo standpoint, it's a nice reminder that like, hey, I should start thinking about bedtime, right? And it's a nice like notch in my belt to know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm serious about sleep. I, I'd use the night shift mode. So, you know, like from that standpoint, yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. Yeah, it's kind of like the identity piece of somebody who sleeps well uses night shift mode or somebody that sleeps well will do these certain habits. Yeah, and look, I think that most people need a much darker room, a much colder room, and a much quieter room. If you're listening to this and you're like, gosh, I'm a lousy sleeper, like go home, set your room to 65 degrees, get a cheap sleep mask, and and make sure the room's quiet. And if you've never done those three things before, I guarantee your sleep's going to be better. Yeah, we actually got blackout blinds. And then there's still light that comes in through the sides. So I actually also use an eye mask. And I'm very sensitive to light. So having the blackout blinds and the eye mask is like, it makes a massive difference in my sleep. I love the eye mask, the sleep mask. I've probably bought 20 different types. I'm very deep into like figuring out which one's probably the best one for me. Yeah, but which, I think which one is the best one so far or the best like three, if there's three, you can't decide. No comment yet. Okay. No comment. I'm like deep in the testing of it. And it's an area that at Whoop we're quite interested in. You know, I, I think that wearing a sleep mask is any sleep mask is probably better than not. 
So I, I recommend it. Yeah, I got made fun of. Um, I do a lot of multi-day racing, so like seven-day mountain bike races. And we were all sleeping. You And some of them are team races, so you have to ride it with a person. And we, you end up camping with the person. So I was wearing my sleep mask, and everybody was pointing and laughing at me. And I was like, whatever, man. I'm getting sleep, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, totally. Especially when you're traveling, you're staying in a hotel, you're on a flight. I mean, you have to have a sleep mask in those settings, I think. So what are some things that you've done or that people you've interviewed have done to improve their REM and slow wave sleep? Well, let's see. So sleep consistency is a really good one. I mean, going to bed and waking up at the same time, that's just a great life hack for anyone who's trying to get more out of less. Like the idea that just going to bed and waking up at the same time is more important than the total hours. We talked about a cold room. We talked about blackout shades. We talked about wearing a sleep mask. I think avoiding eating too close before bed. I probably avoid eating two to three hours before bed. I've had, you know, athletes on whoop say that for them, it's more like four or five hours, which to me seems a little extreme, but there is enough data to show that if you're going to bed on a very full stomach or you just ate like a heavy meal that could negatively impact your sleep. I would say that alcohol, generally not good. It's a little better if it's over two hours before bed. So that's something to keep in mind. I like to take melatonin probably four nights a week. So if my mind's a little sped up or if I'm traveling, I'll take dissolvable melatonin. I like dissolvable more than the ones you swallow. They seem to act faster. Yeah, me too. My husband and I, I'm, I'm laughing because my husband and I call melatonin the sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can't sleep. Get out the sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, I think melatonin's great. Other people I've interviewed take uh, magnesium. Generally, I don't know anyone who takes Ambien or like a real sleep drug. I think that those are actually quite dangerous for you over time. I think that meditation can help a lot, even if it's not even close to when you go to bed. There's a lot to support that if you have some kind of a mindfulness practice, even if it's first thing in the morning, that can improve your sleep and it can improve slow wave sleep and REM sleep. So I highly recommend that. And, you know, I've talked to some people that do like a gratitude journal before bed. I don't do that yet personally, although I think it's quite interesting. But that's another concept that apparently helps people sleep. So I wanted to ask about the location of the sensor. You guys chose to make it a wrist strap, and it seems like there could be some signal-to-noise issues or spikes with it, especially with cyclists, because especially mountain biking, like there is a lot of vibration happening and a lot of shaking. So why like the wrist instead of the finger or some other place? Well, let's see. I mean, people are pretty comfortable wearing things on their wrists, you know, certainly the watch market's been around for a long, long time um, and helped, you know, helped prove that out for us. I want to be clear that Whoop is not a watch. So you can wear Whoop on one wrist and have a watch on the other. But the other thing to keep in mind is that you can wear Whoop, the sensor, in other areas. So today you can also wear it on your forearm or your bicep. And for a lot of cyclists, that actually is most effective. So you may like that, Sonia, if you wear a whoop with a bicep band or in an arm sleeve, you can actually put it you know, higher up on your arm, closer to your shoulder, and that'll improve probably 
some of the issues that you described around vibration of the bike. And it won't be on your wrist if that's something that, that you find a little burdensome. You know, we've got MMA fighters, wrestlers, basketball players, even like racket sports. All of those groups, a lot of them at least, prefer wearing it on their bicep. So that's that's one advantage, I think, to Whoop, which is cool, is that you don't have to wear it on your wrist. You can wear it in other places. And, you know, from an R&D standpoint, that's something we're investing in, is how can you make it live anywhere on your body? So what sports have used it the most or have found the most success with it? Because you mentioned all these different sports and you work with college teams. You know, we've been fortunate. We, we really get to work with every sport. I mean, it's quite amazing. Within the Whoop app, there's like 70 different activities that you can choose from. So I think that demonstrates at least the breadth of different disciplines that people are doing on Whoop. Whoop is waterproof, so we have a lot of swimmers on the product too. You know, some of the more popular activities are, are things around running and cycling and um, swimming. CrossFit community is big for us. Weightlifting community is big for us. And then, you know, we have a lot of specialty sports. Like I played squash. We have a lot of squash players, tennis players. You know, we've got probably a third of the NBA on loop. We've got about 40% of Major League Baseball. We've got a deal with the NFL Players Association where Whoop is the official recovery wearable of the NFLPA. So we're being distributed to every player in the NFL. We work with Navy SEALs. We work with the Explosive Ordnance Division, you know, the, the, the guys out of the movie Hurt Locker. So we get to work with a really fascinating, really wide audience when it comes to sports and comes to uh, human performance. Yeah, it's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and by the way, we also now, because we're in the consumer market, you know, we see all these other types of populations that, similar to athletes, have to perform on a daily basis, right? So we've got trauma surgeons, we've got cops, we've got firefighters, executives who travel a lot, Fortune 500 CEOs, politicians even. I mean, it's quite interesting to me just to see the breadth of, the breadth of hey, I want to optimize my body. Right, or I want to perform at a higher level. I'd say the thing that holds all Whoop users together is it's an aspirational, it's a motivated audience. It's a group that wants to outperform the rest. And so whenever you've got an audience like that, you're inevitably going to learn a lot from it. How important is it for the athlete to be wearing the strap during their activity? Like if they just decided, I'm never going to wear it during exercise, I'm only going to wear it throughout the day. Are those strain scores going to be accurate or do you absolutely have to wear it during exercise? Well, if you don't wear a whoop during exercise, then your strain is not going to be calculated for that period of time, right? What's interesting though is your body doesn't forget. So what does that mean? Let's pretend you uh, ran a marathon and you didn't wear a whoop during the marathon. So whoop didn't know that you just had this crazy high strain, probably like a 20.5 out of 21. Our strain score is on a 21-point scale. And then you put Whoop on that night, and Whoop needed to measure your sleep and measure your recovery. Whoop would still find that your body's run down the next day. Whoop would still find that you got probably less slow-wave sleep and less REM sleep, and you had more disturbances over the course of the night and your heart rate variability and your resting heart rate were off because your body hasn't forgotten that you ran a marathon. So even though Whoop didn't collect the data on the marathon, 
it still can play catch up quickly because of the signals that your body is telling it. Whenever you first get it, like this is kind of a specific question. Um, I got mine right before I went to a race in Africa and I wanted to use it to measure jet lag recovery, but I wasn't exercising very much because I was tapering for my event. And I heard somewhere, I think it might've been a one-year podcast that like for the first several days that you're wearing it, it calculates a baseline for you. So like, yeah, right. So does, does that baseline keep shifting? Does it keep, is it smart enough to keep doing that or can you restart? Yeah. So the first three days that you're on whoop, it's calibrating to your body, but then every day thereafter it's recalibrating, you know? So even if like, you know, you get whoop when you're sick or you're run down or something like, yes, that is going to make an initial baseline. That's probably a little low for you, but over time it's going to get back to where you are because you're going to get back to where you normally are. And whoop, generally speaking, is taking three-day and 30-day moving averages of your body. And that ultimately is what makes the product really accurate, is you, know, you, need, to, you need to understand these things over time. And I'm sure that you've talked with, I, I saw that the new strap um, actually will send your heart rate data like to your, like I'm sponsored by Wahoo, so I have like a Wahoo Element Bolt. And then like there's training peaks and there's trainer road. I also work with trainer road. And a lot of times in cycling, they're measuring fatigue by like your training stress score, your TSS and your CTL, your chronic training load. So like, have you guys thought about working with any of them to try and integrate some of these like cycling specific metrics into the strain score? Absolutely. You know, in general, we think that more sources of data is better. And as long as the data is accurate, there's probably something to do with it. You know, on that point, we recently set up an integration with Training Peaks. So you can start now pushing data to Training Peaks from Whoop. And I believe we're working on something similar with Trainer Road. And over time, that's just going to be an area that we continue to invest in, where you can share data with other sources or you can pull data from other sources. And it all goes back, Sonia, to how do you create this recipe for what's optimal for you, right? What's the amount of training that's optimal for you? What's the pace? What's the elevation? What's the diet? What's the behaviors, right? What, what are the behaviors? Like all these different things that can make you a better version of yourself. And so we recognize that there's other sources of data that can help us arrive at that answer. And how have you guys used respiratory data? Because I think you can infer that from monitoring heart rate 24-7. And in cycling, like specifically, I think respiratory data is not taken into account. And the respiratory system can get fatigued. Like your cardiac system might not be fatigued at all. And you might go out and like your HRV is good. Your resting heart rate is good. But because you fatigued all those muscles around your respiratory system, you won't be able to perform. So have you guys started measuring respiratory data using the heart rate somehow? We have figured out how to measure respiratory rate. We primarily measure it while you're sleeping. And so to your point, it's another, I think, important statistic in this overall puzzle of am I ready to go? And especially for cyclists and runners and rowers and you know cardiovascularly dominant sports, obviously respiration is critical. So how has the meditation, measuring people's meditation, because that's one of the categories, how has that affected strain? Because I think that a lot of people, including myself, I'm like, yeah, like I should be meditating every day. And when I do it, I'm proud of myself. But like, I can't actually see anything happening. I just read the study saying that it's good. So if you can actually see it in the Whoop app, it might actually motivate to do it. 
Well, in the Whoop app today, you can record a meditation session. So that's one way in itself to determine, hey, was this an effective session? Ideally, you have a 0.0 strain during your meditation. So that'd be a sign that you were able to get your resting heart rate low and below your heart rate reserve, and you were able to effectively you know, really relax for a period of time. So that'd be one way to determine, okay, am I meditating successfully? And I would actually point you more towards looking at how it affects your resting heart rate and how it affects your heart rate variability when you're sleeping, because those are benefits of meditation. So you'll have a higher heart rate variability when you're sleeping if you develop a meditation practice during the day. You may even get more slow wave sleep and REM sleep. So that's where I would direct your attention is look at the days in which you meditate and then look at the sleep that night and the recovery the next day and say, okay, what was my heart rate variability? What was my recovery? What was my slow wave sleep, REM sleep? And how did that compare to the days I didn't meditate? And then you can start to quantify, is this good for me? And if it's not good for you, then you can also figure out, well, how can I meditate more effectively? Because generally speaking, people who meditate effectively just see those benefits. Mm -hmm. And like the rest day is like a really big thing in sports, probably across all sports. And I think a lot of times I'm guilty of this. It's like you're not exercising, but that doesn't mean that you're resting. So looking at your strain score on your rest day, like I've noticed that my strain score is still pretty high on a rest day. And I've had other athletes send me questions about this specifically, saying that their strain when they're not exercising is high. Yeah, look, I think it's a really important piece of the puzzle is understanding how does the rest of your life affect your body? You know, this was interesting for me as a student athlete in school, right? Like, it wasn't just that I was going to practice for three hours a day. It was also I was like walking all around campus and playing ping pong at night. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. We had a college tennis team that was overtraining because after practice and on days of their their days off, they would play like super competitive ping pong, and they you know they'd be in a full sweat from ping pong. And it's like, you don't think that that matters, but it actually, it accumulates this additional stress on your body that screws up this whole idea of tapering or, you know, a low training day. And I think whoop can be just as valuable for holding athletes back as it can be for, for pushing them forwards. In fact, whoop is, I would say the first health and fitness product that tells you to do less on some days. It tells you to not work out, right? And so that, that to me is a, it's a critical thing. You know, I was, I was just with Kate Courtney and we were talking about how over time she was able to get better at being in like the public spotlight with fans screaming at her and with signing autographs. And before that would, would actually create a meaningful amount of strain on her body, but she was able to train her body to be comfortable in that environment or to relax in that environment. And so then it had a lower effect on her body and therefore made her more optimal the next day for her race. So I think that's just like a very interesting concept is how how are you handling the other, you know, 20 hours of the day when you're not exercising? Yeah, something I thought I kind of laugh at it is like if I'm packing or I'm cleaning or I'm like rushing around the house, my whoop actually registers an activity. (laughs) Yeah, right. We have people write in to support like, hey, there needs to be like an activity for, you know, chasing kids or like, you know, doing uh, laundry or washing dishes. And true, it's like, yeah, sometimes that can actually be a meaningful activity, 
you know, Larry Bird famously like had this shortened career. The the famous Boston basketball player had this shortened career because, you know, in the summer he would be like laying bricks for his grandmother's house and like he hurt his back doing it. And like he was probably putting enormous strain on his body and got injured and that ended up being the big one of the biggest reasons that his career was cut short. And this is just kind of a personal question, and I'm sure everybody else is wondering, but, like, what is a good strain score for a rest day? Like, if someone just, like, laid in bed all day reading a book or watching TV, like, I mean, nobody's actually going to do that. But, like, what would their strain score register as? Yeah, we have this joke sometimes in the office, like, what's the lowest strain you can accumulate, which is a funny test in itself. I think, you know, if you were to like never get out of bed over the course of a day, you could probably be around like a three or a four strain. You know, once you start moving around and you get your heart rate a little elevated, you're going to start jumping to a five or a six. But I think like if your true goal is to, you know, put no stress on your body, then you want to at least be below a 10 strain. Wow. That's a good challenge for all the users listening to this. Can you get under a 10? I don't know if I can do it. Well, you seem very go, 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 Sonia. Yeah. Well, you're probably the same way. Motivated. Everyone listening to this is probably a highly motivated person who wants to get better and do everything. That's true. Although I think, you know, one benefit to wearing Whoop, at least for me, is it can hold me back and it can, you know, I'll know, okay, I shouldn't stay up late tonight doing more work. I should just go to bed, you know? Yeah. So before we wrap up, I want to talk about your podcast. You've had some really amazing guests on your podcast so far, and you're still, it's still pretty young, right? Like how many episodes are you guys at? That's a good question. I want to say we're around 25, 20, something like that. Yeah. And like, they've all been really good. And for the listener who's really interested in sleep specifically, there's been a lot of different podcasts about sleep that they've published. But what are some of the most important things you've learned from some of the other athletes and people that you've interviewed on your show? So this is the Whoop podcast we're talking about. I started it, I think, roughly six months ago, and we put out an episode every week. You know, one thing that I think is interesting about uh, the format of a podcast is it, it forces you to really listen, you know, and, and listen to someone that you're interviewing and try to uncover things. So I think that just generally for me as the host of the podcast has been a healthy exercise, like you know, trying to really understand where someone's coming from and what makes them tick and what there is for me to, to learn about them. So that, that I've really enjoyed in the process. I think that what holds most of our guests together is that they're experts or top performers in a particular field. So we've got professional athletes, we've had professors of engineering or design, we've had you know, business leaders, commissioner of the NBA, you know, leaders of different sports organizations. And then almost all of them wear whoop too, which is, which is quite cool for me because one, it's humbling to get to meet fascinating people like yourself, Sonia, who wear whoop and learn from them and see how, you know, a product that was once an idea has impacted their lives. And then I think also it's, it's exciting because you give something back to the community too, right? So people listening, even if they're not Whoop users and they're not Whoop customers, at least we're able to, you know, galvanize this whole mindset of, of being more optimal and, and improving human performance. So all of those things for me have been uh, have been pretty awesome. And I have one last question for you. It's a little bit off topic, but it's something I like to ask my guests is, 
How do you define success in your life? You know, I think a lot of it is around impact and happiness. Like, I want to try to have as big of an impact as I can. And you can talk about different ways to think about that. But today, for me, that's, you know, how many lives can we improve with Whoop, right? And so that, to me, feels quite high impact. And then, you know, happiness, I think a lot of that comes from being grateful and appreciating the work that you do, appreciating the people in your life. I got married last September, so that's been, you know, life-changing and amazing. Incredibly grateful to have my wife in my life. And so that, you know, that to me feels like success. How can you have a big impact and how can you be grateful for that impact? That is awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. I know you're a really busy guy and I'm excited for everybody to check out Whoop. Thank you, Sonia. Really appreciate it. And uh, it's been a true pleasure. Will was super awesome to talk to. And if you learned a lot of different things, type in an Instagram story of the key takeaways that you learned from this podcast so that it can help all the other friends that are following you and help them be better too. And make sure that you tag myself and Will and also Whoop. Don't forget that Will is hooking you guys up with $30 off your membership and a free strap whenever you use the name Looney at checkout. My last name, L-O-O-N-E-Y. And you can also find that in the show notes. Thanks so much for being a part of my community and for following my personal adventures as well. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.